From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour. And uh, thanks to all of you who have uh, been with us along the way, along this journey, all our wonderful underwriters, our great guests, and uh, you, the listeners. And, uh, of course, uh, Bishop uh, Weekend, it was his idea. <laughs> and uh, and then Bishop Soto has been so supportive and coming on the program regularly. So we appreciate everybody who has helped us along the way for 23 years now. So, And we are pleased to welcome in Deacon Greg McAvoy-Jensen. Deacon, good, good, to, uh, good to see you here in person. Well, thanks for having me, Bob. Good to be here. Good to have you. Uh, we're not wearing masks anymore. Everybody knows who we are. Some are. Some still are. But, <laughs> Some still uh, are. Every, every now and then. Right. It's, yeah. a, it's a, a wonderful day that way. It so. is. Yes. Yes, indeed it is. You are the Associate Director of Deacon Formation here in the Diocese of Sacramento. Tell us what that involves. Well, there are kind of two dimensions to the job. One is getting people all the way to ordination, and mm-hmm. one is uh, helping with their formation after ordination until death. Uh, so got uh, quite, quite a scope there. So I find, and maybe, maybe you do too, um, there are a lot of people, Catholics and non-Catholics, who don't really understand the amount of formation that a deacon goes, goes through, and also that they are ordained. Right. Yes, that is do, true. Do you find that, that in true. your... In and there are some, I think there's some Protestant denominations where they have a diaconate that yes. is not ordained, so the right. confusion's understandable sure. out there. But that's right, yeah, it's one of the three uh, ranks of the clergy, bishop, mm-hmm. presbyter, what we'd typically right. call a priest, and uh, bishop would be the yeah. the three there. So, so what, what's your own vocation story? What, what led you to the diaconate? Well, I had been in church ministry uh, starting, I, I was in this, we're in the studio here at the Pastoral Center, and when I was in high school and mm-hmm. college, I guess college when this place was built, I was volunteering mm-hmm. for Kevin O'Brien with Wavelength right. Catholic yeah. Media Productions back right. in the day, and yeah. uh, just stayed involved in the church. That's why there the was church. a studio here. Exactly, yeah. right, yeah. right, yeah. Oh, there was a radio show on Quad 106 every mm-hmm. Sunday morning and all these things, so... I, uh, that kind of hooked me, both the, the community, the spirituality, the call to service, and this mission to transform the world. I, I was hooked. So got involved after graduating college in parish ministry, worked in a lot of different parishes, and then St. Francis High School, University of the Pacific, and uh, working for the bishop in Stockton uh, for about 14 years. Hmm. Took a break from it to uh, do further reflection on what does all this mean, where is all this leading, and uh, in looking backwards, that is, you know, that rearview mirror helped me to identify the diaconate as where I was being called to, so started formation in 2013. Wow. So you went to school here locally? Yeah, UC Davis. UC Davis. You've heard of that place. I've heard of that place myself. I'm an Aggie myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we say dirt on our boots. Sometimes it's something else, <laughs> right? right. Yes, <laughs> at UC yes. Davis. Oh yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, I can still. Sm- I, I live in Davis. You can still smell the cows on certain days. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was in the Tercero dorms, which oh, are right you're... across. The... <laughs> yeah. I think that's actually Derry Road. No, uh, exactly, I think yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah exactly. That goes yeah. right by Tercero. Yeah. 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 That's, uh... <laughs> and that's a good model, I think, for diaconate. I know when Pope Francis. Um, was a rector of a seminary, mm-hmm. he would be known to walk around the seminary in big rubber boots because uh-huh. he had it transformed for these um, these seminarians, some of whom uh, had the choice between, uh, as I understand it, applying for the priesthood uh-huh. or working mm-hmm. in the fields. Mm-hmm. He wanted to wanted them to know that look, we are we right. are not here to be different. Uh, from from the people. We were here to be with the people. So right. farming was part of oh, the seminary life when he was rector years ago. And, of course, Pope Francis wants us to smell like the sheep. That's right. That's yeah, right. which is a little easier if you're from UC Davis. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. wow. That's, 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 so you, you make the decision. You decide where do you go. You go to the bishop. You go because somebody else has to decide whether or not so, you yeah, should be So, yeah, it's interesting candidate. what you're discerning what you're deciding uh, some folks get the cart before the horse here mm-hmm. but what you're deciding isn't whether you're going to be a deacon what you're really deciding at that early stage is is this something that I want to explore right. because the church when you come to it is going to explore mm-hmm. with right, you exactly. for years and not say yes you should oh, be a deacon good. yeah great right right so we have like a 
year and a half application process. So the person comes, they're inquiring, they go to a workshop, they learn more. And from that, they may choose to uh, submit, they may be invited to submit a formal application. Or they, they interview first and we talk with them. And then they might be invited to submit a formal application. And that's just the beginning mm-hmm. of the application process. There are interviews, psychological evaluation, um, some formation that we drop in there so they can get a taste of it while, they're, while we're processing their evaluation. And all this is to say discernment takes time. Discernment is something that's not done alone. The individual does it. If they're married, their spouse does it, and then the church is doing it. We have to remember that the diaconate is not a sort of next spiritual step for a layperson to become sort of an advanced layperson. It has right. nothing to do with that. It's, right. not, it's not for the benefit of the person. It's not for the spiritual growth of the person. It's, as the, as the rite of ordination tells us in its notes, it's, for the, uh, it's to nourish the church. Mm-hmm. So they're there for a, a very particular reason. And that's why the church is doing its discernment and deciding uh, who, it, who it will call forth. Um, the bishop makes the final determination. Is it a of different discernment than for the priesthood initially? It is a different discernment, yes, yes. And the formation ends up being different when folks are ordained, even though someone for the priesthood will be ordained a transitional deacon and function uh, strictly in the deacon role for a year. Um, they're getting prepared for different things. The The transitional deacon seminarian really knows that his vocation is the priesthood and mm-hmm. that this is something to help prepare him and uh, a step along the way. For the permanent deacon, uh, this is the very specific call to be a, a the standard bearer for the church's charity, mm-hmm. uh, to be the animator of the service that the church does uh, in the world, and then and in that context, to be a minister of the word and of of the altar as well. Yeah. So, uh, for a long time, or at some point in time, we didn't really have deacons in this diocese, or in the Western Church in as the Western a whole. Church. Yeah, yeah. what, what changed the, that? So it it happened kind of by accident because it is one of the ancient orders. Mm-hmm. It started right there at the beginning. It's found in the New Testament. But it, um, as the church became more and more focused on the priesthood as the central uh, ministry mm-hmm. of the church, and we uh, perhaps added on to the priesthood more than it was uh, designed to carry, and and other other ministries uh, became less important in uh, you know in the in the Middle Ages in particular. We find that then by that time the. Um, the diaconate had dropped into being only something that was a step towards priesthood uh-huh. along with mm-hmm. porter mm-hmm. and exorcist and reader and right. all those, the, uh, the, the cursus honorum there that uh, were, would be the steps towards priesthood. Um, so what changed? Well, the world was in need of, of service. The church was in need of making itself visibly relevant and able to communicate in the world. But mm-hmm. one, one story that I think summarizes it well would be um, what happened in, in Dachau during World War II. Mm-hmm. There was one set of the, the prisoner barracks there called the Priester Block, where uh-huh. the clergy, especially Catholic clergy, uh, were kept. Was it mostly Catholic clergy? Uh, yeah, it was mostly yeah. Catholic mm-hmm. clergy, as I understand it at that time, and uh, but not exclusively. And they had time to reflect on not just what is happening to our country, to our world here, but also how did we get here? Mm-hmm. How, did, how did the church in particular allow uh, things to, get the, to go this far? And one of the, one of the you know, scratches of paper or you know, notes, they, did, they were able to keep some notes and bring them out from this, uh, was um, the recording of the conversation that we need to reinstitute the diaconate so that the clergy of the church can be out there in the world in touch with, mm-hmm. transforming, challenging um, the rest of the world. So I think that that that's an example of, mm-hmm. of the impulse that folks had in the in the Second Vatican Council. But it was uh, by a, a huge majority vote that uh, that it was um, implemented so at the Second Vatican Council. implemented by Vatican II, yes. which is 1962 and, and to 65 exactly. in, in that range. And yeah. they do this in that kind of flexible way where mm-hmm. they say, a bishop, we're not saying everybody has to have deacons, but a given conference of bishops, like here in the U.S., uh, is now welcome to 
petition to, to request from Rome permission to reinstitute the diaconate. And so, and they did. They found it very helpful. So. Virtually every diocese in the United States would have deacons now? I think it's close to that in the United yeah. States, yeah. It's not, it's not the same globally, but in the United States, yes. Yeah, and of course, we have the, the transitional diaconate right. for people who are going to become priests, yeah. and then the permanent diaconate. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Bishop, uh, no, uh, uh, Pope Francis had indicated that he would at least entertain the notion of, of women in the diaconate, but that's sort of just kind of on the shelf over here somewhere, or is has there been any movement on that one way or the other? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. There was a commission appointed just to study the question and see the right. leader of the international, I don't know the name of it, but the international uh, organization of religious women, I think right. the leader of that had said, uh, this is something that should be thought about. And mm -hmm. he said, okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll appoint a commission. Right. He's actually had a couple of commissions, so there's one that is still active in, in discerning that okay. question. So, yes, it's an open question, and it's a, a, uh, something that it'll be interesting to see uh, where that goes, but we don't have a, a direction uh, at this time from right. that. Right. And, again, correct me if I'm wrong, if, in, the, in the permanent diaconate, if you're married when you're ordained— Obviously, you remain married, but if you're not if you're if you're not married when you're ordained, then you don't get married. Is that correct? That's right. And in fact, the discipline in the Eastern Catholic Church is a little bit different. But the similarity is once ordained, no celebration of a marriage. Okay. After, yeah. after okay. that point, mm -hmm. so well, in, in that's an easier rule if it's everything. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Very good. Yep. Very good. So. And, and I know it from the, from the many deacons we've interviewed over the years, um, the spouse is critical and essential in this in the whole formation process. Exactly, exactly. In our diocese, she attends most of of mm -hmm. what the formation entails. That at least that is in person. So we have a lot of different dimensions, uh, but. In our large diocese, one of the core things that we do is we gather people together infrequently, six times a mm -hmm. year for formation weekends. We're at Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center here in, uh, in Citrus Heights. Uh, I, I for think those, I'd want so. to go there every weekend. Right. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. And, and so for that uh, whole weekend, she's there learning just as well as, as he is. Um, Al alongside a, or in separate classes? or Almost always together uh -huh. we do have a women's spirituality session sure, so we sure. break out for that for 90 minutes and um and they have uh some heart-to-heart -heart time and some tailored spirituality mm -hmm. for them but they're together with the guys for their primary spirituality session which we have found extremely effective uh we, we make use of ignatian spirituality mm -hmm. and uh all of saturday afternoon essentially is dedicated to that and we're grateful for um uh, the uh, Ignatian Institute over at uh, St. Ignatius Parish yeah. there. Yeah. Michael Cheney coordinates this. Father Art Ware, Father Tom Lucas, Father Matthew Yim, Charlene Cardenas are they're the, the current team. And they provide, uh, you know, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius is a 30-day process that goes it. over. Yeah. The, and, and it's designed in four modules, if mm -hmm. you will. They, it calls it weeks, because if you're doing 30 days, each one would be a week. They've tailored this, um, especially under the architecture of Father uh, Mike Moynihan when he was here, mm -hmm. to be a four-year process, right. uh, essentially. So they, um, anyway, that has been extremely valuable for the growth of our, of our um, aspirants and candidates, and I think then for their spirituality, to make sure they have an active spirituality going out as they start to serve the people of God after ordination. So from, from the the, the day the, the bishop says to you, yes, we, we're going to accept you as a candidate to your ordination, what's, what's the time period there? Four years. Four years. Yeah, it's four years of formal formation, even though we've done a bit of formation ahead of that. They give you a bachelor's degree? And there's no degrees. <laughs> no yeah, degree. And, and part of that, so in some places you could uh, come away with a master's degree sure, when, sure. when you finish. From and, all and the coursework. Right, yeah. yeah. Here we we like folks to just be focused on mm -hmm. the diaconate. Yeah. So, and if they're really interested in an academic degree, that might be something that they could do after ordination. Sure, and there, there and people many, do. There are many opportunities to do that in many places, especially here in Northern California. That's right. Yeah, and we've yeah. had uh, deacons um, pursuing that and achieving that. Uh, it's it's been quite beautiful here. We also do our. We we made a change in our formation. 
uh, for this last cohort, the class of 2022 that was ordained uh, just this summer, the 2020 men. And that was to have, instead of have a, a laddering our classes, one English, then one Spanish, uh, now they're together, combined in a, in a bilingual cohort. And that's been quite beautiful to see how the, how the dynamic between the two groups becomes really just, oh, this is simply mm-hmm. one family going through formation together. It's worked very well for us. But it means that coming into formation, we're asking, well, of course, we're asking the Spanish speakers to know enough English to be able to study in the language. But sure. the English speakers also to have at least the equivalent of a college year of Spanish under their belts so that they'll be ready for the pastoral Spanish that they are trained in as they go along. So that by the time they're ordained, they need to be able to conduct a baptism in Spanish, greet people before and after, read their homily, even if they got help in in translating Mm -hmm. it, read Mm -hmm. their homily effectively in Spanish as well. So anyway, that's that's been a a great blessing. And uh, we've had folks from both the Spanish-speaking community, English-speaking community, also pursuing the advanced education that uh, we were talking about before. So, do we do do we have a great number of people? I, I know we have a, a, a huge Hispanic population. Do we have a great number of people that are are only Spanish speakers in in, in this diocese? Of uh, people in the pews, yeah, just yeah, generally, exactly. We have quite a few. Mo- yes, most of the people yes, who we have, have quite been a few born here become yeah. bilingual, which is. Yep. You see the kids, uh, there's, there's a great advantage. They grew up with with some Spanish in the home, and then they go to school, and they're speaking English with That's their friends. Right. And, boy, they're they're just uh, bilingual almost from the time they're born. That's true. But yeah. there is something very important in our religious expression, our religious life, that has to do with our language. Mm-hmm. When people are raised in whatever language it may be as the language that they're introduced to God in, that they're used to praying to God sure. in at sure. first that God speaks back to them in their dialogue there, that language, in my experience, doesn't doesn't change that easily. They might be able to pray in other languages, but it's not the same. So it is important for folks to be able to worship, even if they know another language, to be able to worship and to be able to share faith in the the kind of the faith language of their wow, hearts. Wow, that's a real interesting yeah. point. I, 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 that's, that's profound, I think, you know, that the, the language you learned... Uh, to speak to God, I, I know. Yeah. I, I, you know, I grew up with a Latin Mass, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. If, if I walked into a Latin Mass today, I'd probably start crying. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just literally, the memories and the memories of all the all that the church meant to me or means to me now started then. You know, and yeah. um, and and that was you know, I know I looked much too young to have had the Latin Mass, but <laughs> kidding, it's uh, it was all there was. When I was sure, growing up, sure, and it was um, it was profound, you know. And um, I was I was really pleased when when Benedict came out with his letter to the bishops about the the two should should complement each other, mm-hmm. if if you will. You know, they're both beautiful. They're both praising God. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, that's since been adjusted. Exactly, and, and, adjusted. And so yes, that we know order, very yeah. clearly which form of the mass is uh, is the um, lex orandi, the, right. the law of prayer in the church now. Right. Um, though we still have the exceptions to take care the of exceptions people where, where, and, where yeah. they're needed. But exactly. uh, the other piece related to the language that you're bringing up is that. Uh, the, the the current mass in its current form can be celebrated in lots of language, and its base language sure. is Latin. Right. All of us, regardless of whether we speak Latin or not, are here part of the Latin Church, is is what it's called. So sure. there's uh, there's that possibility as well, celebrating with all the the gifts that the Second Ca- Second Vatican Council has given us in the liturgy, in in the Latin language or yeah. other languages as well. In this diocese, I know we have we have. Uh, a great Filipino population. We have the Vietnamese Martyrs Church. We have, uh, I know I'm missing a number of groups yeah, here. Chinese we at had the Chinese, cathedral. yeah, at the cathedral. I've attended that mass. Portuguese, uh, right. Portuguese, yeah, exactly. Are there are there other languages that we need to be providing both for, or or not? Oh, that's a great question. I'm sure there are. Probably sure there are. are. I mean, we have uh, we ordained one man who was Hmong. 
uh-huh. uh, and we, we already had uh, one, at least one, maybe two deacons who are Hmong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how often we get the Mass in Hmong. Yeah, I know right, Tongan, right. for example, St. Joseph Parish once in a while uh-huh. will have a Tongan priest come through and they'll have a great celebration there. So those are those are some and of I the think sometimes languages. and I'm not I'm not positive and I must speak out of turn, but the uh, the black Catholic ministry will have sure. a, a mass uh, it's like they have their their monthly mass mm-hmm. where we're all invited of course and and I think sometimes I'm not sure which language I mean I think frankly it's in English but but I think once in a while they have it in one of the African languages, but I'm not. Yeah, I think Swahili. That. I think but it there's might also, be Swahili. Yeah. There's also the the Igbo community, so yes. that's a different. Yes. I believe that's a different language. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah, you know, it's just right. It's, right. Uh, and now we have so many Afghan refugees in this mm-hmm. area. Yeah, and I, I don't know how many of them might be Catholic, but probably not a high percentage. But yeah, um, but uh, it's it's I, I think. I think I read once, either, it was either New York or L.A., it was Mass celebrated in 38 languages or something like right, that. Right, and that's that's probably just the Latin Mass. And then yeah. in our diocese, there will be other Catholic Masses that are in different rites, like sure. uh, uh, you know the Ukrainian, Ukrainian? making use yep. of the Byzantine rite, I believe, and right. plenty of others. So Yeah, very good. good. Very we have uh, on the liturgy side, I should mention too, can I oh, yeah, plug absolutely. an announcement here? We, we've done this for several years, but we have our liturgy. I work in the Office of Worship. I staff right. that, that as well. So uh, we have our liturgy formation series about to start up. So folks who are interested in further study Very of what good. we're talking about, uh, learning not just about how to you know open the book if you're a lector and where to stand, but things more fundamental like what's, what is the history of the Mass and where did it come from and uh, how has it developed? Um, what are the what are some of the principles of liturgy that uh, that shape what we do? How do we use symbol? Um, how do we use music? How do mm-hmm. we use words? Things like that. Anyway, that's going to be starting up in uh, October, October for folks who want to to sign up for that. And that's a, uh, about once a month. This yeah, it's yeah. a six session, so it yeah. starts in October. I think our last session's in June. So and and what day of the week will that be? Saturdays, Saturdays, yes, okay. yeah, and in terms of language, we offer that in two different rooms here at the Pastoral Center, one in English, one in Spanish. So. Very good. How can people yeah. sign up for that? Oh, they can just, uh, if they go to scd.org mm-hmm. and go Maybe slash liturgy series, uh, they'll find it there, or they can always call the Office of Worship. So w- once once you're ordained, uh, or w- once you're accepted, is it is it, are, are most, most people make it all the way through to ordination, or is there a kind of a, a normal attrition percentage? I wouldn't say there's a normal attrition percentage, mm-hmm. but there are things that happen in life, and some if, people do discern out. Sure. Some people discern as they get more clarity. And that's one of our tasks, especially in the first year, is give them what they need mm-hmm. for clarity for their own discernment. Mm-hmm. They haven't been able to see well enough, so we bring in panels of deacons to talk about the three different dimensions of their ministry, ministry at the altar, ministry of the word, ministry of charity, and so they, they get to have some dialogue uh, with them, and not just deacons, but uh, de- deacon spouses as well. Mm-hmm. So the spouses can do their own discernment of both their husband's vocation and also whether this seems to be the right fit, the proper thing for the family at this time, or right. whether, ooh, with our young kids, that part sounds yeah. like that might not be uh, good quite yet for us. Is, so is there's it, a lot of discernment yeah, there. Yeah, it's probably hard to stereotype, which is a good thing. But it seems like if you had a, at least a, a large family of young kids, it might be very hard to be a deacon as well. That's true, but there's also great opportunity. It kind of depends yeah, on how you yeah. run your family. There are families uh, who already, they're, you know, say they're involved in music. The parents are involved mm-hmm. in helping lead the choir. Mm-hmm. The kids may be the choir along sure, with other, sure. other children, yeah, and so yeah. they may go and just do things together. It also can depend somewhat on what the spouse's um, approach is. Some spouses want to be closely involved in their husband's ministry. Some spouses have a very clear ministerial identity of their own mm-hmm. that they're, they're not about to change. That's all, they, they know they're home they are, and yeah. they're, they're, they're following it. Others are uh, deeply involved in the apostolate of the laity, ministry out in the world, not in the church, and that's that's where they do their work, even while being supportive of their husband, their husband's supportive of them. 
So that varies a bit. And that dynamic, I think, can sometimes make a difference about what's going to happen with kids. How are things going Mm -hmm. to work? It also Mm -hmm. depends on things like extended family. Are are there extended family around? Are the kids regularly engaged uh, with them with, you know, I'm with grandpa on this and such day? Right. Um, But that makes a big difference. Makes a big difference. So you just have to discern that individually and see. Yeah, I know. I know we had grandma and grandpa in our hometown and and uh allowed allowed us to do more things that like this um <laughs> that uh perhaps we wouldn't have been able to with with especially when the kids were really young right yeah. but if the guy up there at the ambo is is speaking from the heart about the scriptures and you also know uh that he's living with uh, the raising of kids yeah. in this particular world and this uh, yeah. the challenges that we all face, uh, his words may carry different weight than they might if mm-hmm. they were in the more yep. in the abstract. Yeah. Um, similarly, if he's involved in service or, or action on behalf of justice in a particular way and he's a, a family man, uh, that says something. And mm-hmm. I think that, that may build bridges uh, to people that might not uh, make the connection otherwise. So, so once you're ordained, then then what happens? You get an assignment to exactly. To a yeah, yeah. We don't we don't say now you can take a nine month vacation. Right, which is right. Pretty, pretty immediate. Put your feet up. Bishop assigns them. Uh, they'll generally get assigned to a parish, and it's all, almost always the parish that their they, home parish. Their home parish, but it may not be. Um, maybe the place already has just a swarm of deacons, mm-hmm. and we've been perhaps transitioning them to a different one or whatever it may be. But yes, it's up. It's entirely up to bishop. They Before the ordination, there is first a vow of, or a promise of obedience that's mm-hmm. made to the bishop. And this is mainly, I think, what that obedience is about. That right. The bishop has a responsibility to make sure that the needs of the diocese are taken care of. Sure. And you're coming in saying, use me where I'm needed. Right. So, and, but there are other things that a deacon may do. He may be assigned to a parish, um, but he may also be on a diocesan committee. Uh, some special ministries that deacons are uh, increasingly involved in and that uh, Bishop Soto is interested in deacons being involved in are ecumenical work. Mm-hmm. That's nice in the parish setting because while uh, the priests will rotate around on a periodic right, basis, right. deacons might move, but they usually don't. Usually mm-hmm. they'll, they'll mm-hmm. stay there for a, a long haul. And Certainly that been the case the, in, my, in my parish. Sure, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And, and that allows building ecumenical relationships that may just take time to mm-hmm. build well, and the, the deacon can help to be that bridge. Yeah, I, I know in my home parish the deacons uh, over time have been very prominent in the community, you know, with, with other faiths with, uh, you know, and with social justice and, and, and those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're almost a, a real visible, in addition to the pastor and anybody else, but um, a, a real representatives of the church out in the community. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then a couple of other areas they might get involved with that are kind of more diocesan level would be uh, law enforcement chaplaincy, actually yes. serving, serving um, our brothers and sisters who protect us. Um, with, with the formal law, what, what the, I forget, that we've had people on from the law enforcement chaplaincy mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. that the sheriff's, I believe the sheriff's office runs that. Uh, the sheriff's office, I think, would authorize or authorizes the, uh, the, it. Yeah, the the, the people yeah, to, do the, it, to right. do the service. Right. Um, there's, I think, a local nonprofit that right. tends to help provide the training for multiple uh, right. jurisdictions right. or whatever they're called. So yes, and and, and, and that's interfaith, and that's interfaith, right? right? right. But they love having Catholics because sure they do. know they've got Catholics who need right. Catholic chaplains right. uh, from time to time. So that particular match is is very helpful, especially in crisis times, and yeah. that's what these folks are really called to, uh, often, I, often dealing with uh, real trauma uh, to right. help people through. So, and I presume prison ministry? Prison ministry is another area where, yes, we have a lot of deacons involved in um, the, the other, and sometimes some are in hospital ministry as well. The other priority area at the moment is uh, legislative advocacy. Mm-hmm. And we have a team of deacons whose job it is to um, get to know their local state officials, mm-hmm. you know, get to know who they are and, and, and build some relationships there. Is the conference, the California Catholic Conference, involved in that as well? They are, yes. Yeah. There will be particular topics, for example, that they can bring us 
they, they can bring to the team and say, hey, if you're able to meet with your legislator and, and talk about this particular issue, um, here's some sense of timing, here's some mm -hmm. background information, and, and they can go have profitable conversations there on top of or in the context of an existing solid relationship of, of, of respect. So that, that's what the team's about, similar to the ecumenical effort where if the deacon's there for the long haul, you can build that bond of, uh, of trust, build a, a bond of communication with someone from a different uh, Christian uh, community. Here, the same can be done with our legislators. The deacon may out, outstay right. uh, the, the legislator who right. you know, may term out or whatever it may be right. uh, over time. So, yeah, those are... So, the, the question everybody wants to know, what can a deacon do and what can a deacon not do? Right. So a deacon be, can, can be the expression of the church's service of love in the world. Uh, that's that's the, the primary thing. And when you think, should we have deacons? That, that's really, I think, what the church is up to when it, when it uh, reinstituted mm -hmm. or re, uh, reestablished the permanent right. diaconate. So how can we let the, the, the church make use of its call to serve the world in a sacramentalized mm -hmm. way? And that, that, that's what the deacon does. And in the, in the context of that, the deacon then also serves at the altar and serves uh, in the uh, proclamation of the mm -hmm. word. Mm -hmm. So some, some wonder, okay, well, within, because we, we were just talking about what a deacon can do, and, right. and the, that, that's all core, and uh, in, in proclamation of the word, you know, so that may be teaching uh, in Christian initiation mm -hmm. or baptism classes, teaching right. the, the parents there. It could all kinds of different things like that, all trainings that the, the deacon may be doing at the parish level um, uh, and, and sometimes in smaller settings, mm -hmm. less, less formal uh, settings, but uh, even more important often uh, uh, conversations, spiritual conversations together. But the other piece would be at the ministry at the altar. So mm -hmm. the deacon can assist at mass, and the, mm -hmm. and the mass is designed to have uh, a deacon serving the priest. It helps, I think, in some ways to accent the priest role, accent the, de the bishop role when, mm -hmm. when serving with a bishop. It helps to highlight, oh, that's what a bishop is, a guy standing between the two deacons, uh, right. decked out in the color there. Right. Um, and and the, the interchange between uh, the, the priest and the deacon shows uh, the, the circulation of charity, right? The mm -hmm. priest is there serving the people and um, uh, you know, giving to them the body and blood of Christ. Uh, the deacon is there serving the priest, right. and, and it just flows in, in these uh, circular sort of ways that are quite beautiful, and, and, and I think that circulation kind of uh, looks a lot like the way uh, the, the love of God and the Trinity, mm -hmm. three different mm -hmm. persons, and it's circulating around, and it overflows out into the world and all that, so it's quite, quite wonderful. Um, without a priest, some of the things that you may find a deacon doing would be uh, baptizing uh, right. infants when that's done, right. especially when it's done outside of the mass. Right. Uh, also, in the Christian initiation side of things, there are uh, some of the rites of uh, RCIA that the the deacon may be conducting celebrations of the Word of God mm -hmm. with their minor exorcisms, anointings, that sort of thing. Then uh, the deacon also can uh, witness uh, marriages. Um, be the be the minister for the weddings um, when they're outside of mass, and sometimes mm -hmm. that's that's mm -hmm. uh, an, an appropriate thing to do even for Catholics. So, um, usually a Catholic marrying a non-Catholic right. or right. Catholic marrying a Buddhist, something mm -hmm. like that. So, those are uh, cases where uh, the deacon might uh, be the the minister at the wedding, and then um, they're not sacraments, but the um, funerals. So mm -hmm. the Deacon may be the one leading the vigil, the liturgy. Fre and the frequently, uh, um, in my experience, we go to, to the rosary the night before, maybe, and a deacon is usually leading it. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. rosary, or maybe rosary with the official liturgy. Exactly, the, the yeah, with an official liturgy, liturgy as sure. well. Right. Um, and then the funeral itself, if mm -hmm. that's outside of Mass, then mm -hmm. the deacon may right. uh, be the presider for that liturgy and the committal at the graveside. Right. And then the Book of Blessings, most of the blessings in, in there, um, including now uh, quinceañeras. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, not now as if they were just invented, but there, right, there's right. an official ritual sure. that, we, that we use for that. And so the deacon, again, any of those that are outside of Mass, the deacon, um, or not, not any, but all, all, almost all of them, a home blessing, right. um, you know, things like that. Deacon may be the one 
leading that. So those are some of the kind of ministry at the altar sort of things that a deacon uh, may be the, the leader for, but he may be the, the support person, the servant sure. uh, at lots of other things as well. And a number of deacons are still have an occupation outside the church. Right, right. And that's the vision here, especially in the United States where uh, folks who are deacons typically aren't full-time employed by the church. A few right. of us are, but uh, most of the most of us are out there to be, you know, leaven in the world. Um, the proper person to help transform the world would be the, the laity, mm-hmm. but having clergy out there with them sure. side by side as animators is is a valuable thing, and that's that's uh, what they're doing. And that's, yeah, that's a, that's a powerful witness. Um, and it also helps, again, when the person is preaching. Oh, right. they're preaching, but I know also this person has a day job just like right. me. Right. Uh, so. Yeah, they, they, they can, you're right. It, it puts in a different context mm-hmm. for, for the parishioner. Exactly. And, and having a variety of contexts yeah. is, is very helpful. So right. hear, hearing the priest more directly, that's also uh, a very important uh, model, uh, context to, to hear from. But yeah, this, you this know, gives it, another angle. I, I know from the deacons I've known, but primarily in my own parish, uh, um, some were elderly, retired. I don't know, elderly really the right word. They were very active, uh, um, um, but you know, probably over 75. And uh, um, some of them were much younger. And it was really, it was, it, it's almost like they covered all bases, if you will. It was, it was very helpful to all of us. Right, you yes, know. I see what you're saying. So they're from a variety of places in life. Yeah, and so we've you get gone ministry. through um, many baptisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've gone through the death of both my mom and my dad and, and, and a brother. Um, we've gone through uh, grandchildren. We've gone through people coming into the church in the family. Um, not immediate family, but you know, maybe somebody gets married or somebody, you know, and and uh, just a wide variety of things. Just to, just in our family, and then of course, marriages and funerals of of acquaintances, friends, um, community members, or, or uh, deaths of community members. It's, it's a small town, and I grew up in it, so it's like the deacons' roles have been just all over the map when I to this day. Mm-hmm. And uh, very visible in our parish, yeah. yeah. And as I, as I'm sure they are in all parishes, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So yep. you had a class of twenty. We did, yes, it's, yeah. It, that was that is was that a big class. That is our our prior one was twenty seven. I think that was our the largest we'd ever had. And uh, our current cohort that we just started is twelve, and that's probably a closer yeah. to normal number for us for a cohort. You, but yeah, you start that was one a lot. every year. Every other year, every although other year. when we switched to the bilingual mode, we skipped one every other uh, year yeah. cycle just to watch it play out a little right. bit longer, make sure. So now we're uh, working with the class of 2026, uh, 12 um, aspirants in the aspirancy uh, year there, first of four years. And on January 1st, that'll start the application window or the, the inquiry phase for the class of 2028. So we've got wow. the, kind of the long view here, yeah. but folks <laughs> who are interested uh, in exploring more can uh, go to the Office of Clergy Formation web, web, mm-hmm. web page on scd.org, and on January 1st, we'll put up the inquiry form, which Very is uh, just a real simple one-pager, so we get a little information about the person, and we can invite them to our workshops. But if they're, if they're interested in exploring, the other thing that is good to do now is to be in conversation with the pastor uh-huh. uh, to help with that discernment a bit. And uh, we always encourage folks also to think about uh, pursuing a catechist certificate uh-huh. through the diocese here. That, right. that uh, gets, them, gets them going on, on the mm-hmm. training, and it's also like a prerequisite for our, our, the sure. formation that we offer. So those are some things that people could do if they're interested yeah. in exploring this further. Very good. Deacon Greg, uh, pleasure to see you again, and uh, we'll look forward to our paths crossing again soon. Sounds great. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. 
They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. Hello, this is Jennifer Campbell, Director of Trinity Pines Catholic Center. You're listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Back, Thanks for joining us on this uh, beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you joining all of us on this uh, wonderful day as we move into the fall. And we are... Uh, Pleased and honored to welcome in Father Dean Marshall. Father, uh, good day. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Dean, Father Dean uh, joins us by phone. How are things going? Uh, going, going very well, Bob. It's good to, to hear your, your, your voice again, to, to be talking with I mean, I hear your voice all the time, but to actually be, <laughs> be talking with you, it's, it's a pleasure to, to be on the show, and thank you for the invitation. I think the last time our paths crossed in person, you and I were... Uh, Co-broadcasting a the diocesan the annual diocesan basketball game. Yes, the the epic priest versus seminarian yes. uh, basketball game. We, we were co-announcers, and and uh, I, I I learned a lot from from a professional such as yourself, <laughs> and you you really helped to keep me in line. Well, as I understand it, though, you won the Emmy. <laughs> well, you know, I, I try to remain humble and, and not brag about all the awards and accolades I've won. But, you know, there, there's only been 20 or 30 of them so far. Yes, indeed, indeed. Well, <laughs> you were a natural on the radio. It was great. It was that was that was fun. Um, so, uh, Curcio, tell us about yes. that and tell us about what what happened to the weekend. Yeah, Curcio, uh, it's a wonderful movement. I. I Lived my Curcio weekend. It's probably been 13, 14 years uh-huh. since I lived my weekend. But it, it's an opportunity. It's a, uh, a four-day opportunity to just have an encounter uh, with Christ uh, in terms of uh, enlivening, your, enlivening your faith, seeking where the Holy Spirit uh, might be calling you to uh, engage and be more active in your faith. And I... I hesitate using the word retreat because it goes beyond that four days uh, in terms of living out the Curcio movement, uh, maintaining those connections, and uh, things like that. And it's really a, just a wonderful opportunity to, to reconnect with Christ and reconnect with the call that he gives all of us uh, to serve him, to love him, and to serve uh, and love others. We had a Curcio weekend scheduled just uh, to start tomorrow, actually up in Applegate. We were looking forward to it, and uh, unfortunately, we had to postpone it. Uh, we postponed it due to the mosquito fire. I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of mm-hmm. listeners have, have had that on their on their minds. Uh, my own family has been, been impacted by it as well, and uh, just out of an abundance of caution, even though the retreat center uh, is still in an okay place, in terms of the path of the fire and whatnot, just out of an abundance of caution due to uh, health and safety, 
Uh, and also, we don't want to have to worry about it all weekend long. You know, right. it's not very conducive to a retreat experience. No, no. Uh, we, we made the, the decision, that the team made the decision to postpone the weekend until December, uh, which actually, we just found out the dates today, or at least I did. It's uh, going to be December 8th through the 11th. Okay. The Women's Curcio Weekend, December 8th through the 11th. So you're going to start on the Feast of uh, the Immaculate Conception? That is, that is correct, yes. Yep, it'll start that evening. Uh, the um, candidates will arrive up in Applegate at the Jesuit Retreat Center that evening and then continue on uh, living their weekend uh, through Sunday. Uh, I don't, you know, in terms of the details about, about the weekend, uh, it's not... A secret, but we also want to be able to uh, have it be a new experience, uh, if, if, if you get my meaning, and, and fresh going in. So uh, I don't give too many uh, specific details in terms of what goes on, but um, there's a lot of opportunities for talks, uh, for, for prayer, reflection, uh, and uh, just communion and being with each other. And of course, the uh, uh, the sacraments, uh, reconciliation, uh, and the source and summit of it all, uh, the, whole, the Holy Mass each day. How did you first get involved in Curcio? Uh, you know, I've been trying to figure that one out myself. Uh, <laughs> I was a, a brand new baby Catholic. I was baptized in 2005 when I was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And a couple of guys from St. Mel Parish, they um, just said, hey, you know, Dean, we think you'd be a wonderful candidate for this Curcio uh, weekend. Are, are you interested? And I didn't know anything about it. I said, sure, why not? <laughs> uh, but it was through that weekend, through that lived experience, that uh, I really started, um, quite frankly, listen, trying to start to listen to where God was calling me. Mm -hmm. uh, becoming a bit more serious about my, my vocation, um, um, serious about discernment for the priesthood, and uh, where the, the, the good Lord might be nudging me or, in some cases, uh, pushing me, you know, when I didn't want to listen. <laughs> and uh, it really gave me an opportunity to connect with the Holy Spirit uh, and to um, spend some time listening. Uh, you know, we, we don't get that a lot in today's world. And Curcio gives a wonderful opportunity just being able to deepen one's faith, to reconnect, uh, and then to live uh, to live that out after the initial weekend. Wow. So where, where was your Curcio weekend? Just at St. It was St. Mel's, was it at Applegate? It was, yeah. It was actually up at Applegate. And it was, oh, I, I want to say there were only 30 or 40 men on, on, on my weekend in addition to the to the team itself. Mm -hmm. uh, we do separate retreats for, for the men and, and the women uh, each year. And, uh, yeah, it was up at Applegate, which is a, a wonderful setting, uh, very, very prayerful, has everything uh, you need, and, and it's comfortable uh, in terms of um, being a nice uh, retreat house. So, um, yeah, it's a great way to... to Spend a weekend, of course, but also really to, I think, get serious about one's faith. And and that really, uh, I don't know if kickstart's the right word, set you in motion. Yeah, no, I think kickstart is is a, a great way to put it. The the Curcio motto uh, is make a friend, be a friend, and bring a friend to Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it all starts on, on that weekend and then living that motto out uh, through uh, really the rest of your life. Uh, Curcio, uh, the Curciistas, uh, those of us who have, have lived our weekends, uh, we, we don't see it as uh, ending on Sunday afternoon. Uh, we see it very much as something that impacts our, our spirituality, our lived faith, really for, uh, for the, rest of, the rest of our lives. Uh, and, and in my own case, uh, even though through seminary and, and all that, being up in Oregon, you know, hundred, hundreds of miles away, right. I still maintained uh, contact uh, with a lot of the guys on, on my original weekend uh, and then attended the, uh, the gatherings when I could when I was back home mm -hmm. in, in Sacramento. It's really a, a wonderful, wonderful community.
Did any of them become uh, priests or deacons? Um, there, there was. So I didn't know. Okay, this is going to sound really, really bad, Bob. I'm really sorry. <laughs> there was actually a priest on my weekend. I didn't know he was a priest, <laughs> but it was. He was living his weekend as well. He was attending the retreat, and so that he could uh, really enter into it. Uh, it wasn't really broadcast that he was a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was just attending as you know, just a regular guy. Right. Um, and we, out of really out of well, not out of chance, we're out of providence. We ended up being in the uh, same bunk together. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm here. I am this weekend talking about you know discernment and all this, and he's you know you know kind of laughing to himself throughout the weekend, knowing that. You know, you can't really say too much until uh, <laughs> his identity was revealed. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, he he was there, and like I said, he was uh, already a priest. As far as folks who who have uh, become uh, deacons or priests, I know of at least one one deacon. I think two, if I remember right. Uh, and there's also uh, those who were already ordained deacons that, that attended uh, Curcio as well. Wow. And this, what, all started in Spain? Is that right? Uh, yes, yes. It uh, started, started as a movement in Spain. It's uh, a worldwide movement uh, rooted in the Catholic faith, rooted in, in the teachings of the Church, and uh, really using that as our foundation. You know, our foundation is Jesus Christ and uh, bringing his, you know, his gospel message out into the world, living that out in the world. And and really, since since its inception, it's gone everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow, it's amazing how a person or a handful of people can start something, uh, maybe just in their own parish or uh, own prayer group or or some very small thing, and and it, you know you plant the seed and it starts expanding, and next thing you know, it's a worldwide movement. Yeah, I. In my home parish at St. Mel's, uh, I've had the opportunity to watch the, the, the Curcio movement grow. And I have seen it start with just those, those few people, you know, and of course when, when I made my initial weekend, it wasn't too, too widespread. Uh, but then seeing it flourish in the parish community and seeing the impact of those people who have made their weekend, lived their weekend, and then brought that experience back out into the parish community. I've been able to see firsthand how uh, that has impacted uh, the parish uh, for, for the positive and, mm-hmm. and being able to uh, enliven uh, the people, being able to make people more aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, being engaged in their faith, uh, and encouraging others, even those who... Um, aren't Christians, those who haven't made their weekend, uh, being able to uh, really engage everybody in the parish and and take ownership and get involved, uh, and it's just been wonderful seeing it grow in the in the parish community. You know, you're so right. You know, somebody who's dedicated, who's enthusiastic, uh, who's on fire for the faith, it does have a positive effect on people who. Maybe haven't been paying attention. Maybe they're a little bit lukewarm. Maybe their their priorities are a little bit out of focus. Um, coming into regular contact with somebody who is so passionate can really make a difference in somebody's life. Yeah, and and that's what I would say. You know, to anybody who's wondering about whether or not they should attend this week, and whether it's the women's weekend coming up or. Uh, the the men's weekend next year. You know, if you know somebody who has attended Curcio, you know, you look at their lives. You know, often you you look at them and you're like, oh, I should be something different. You know, and and really not not just Curcioses, but really anybody who's on fire for their for their faith. Uh, anybody who, whether it's a, a convert or a revert or or somebody who just was well formed growing up and they're just uh, really engaged and on fire. We we look at those people and we recognize, like, wow, I, I want that. There, there's something about that person, uh, and of course, that thing that they have uh, is is Jesus Christ. 
uh, and the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that, that trust in the Holy Spirit, you know. And it doesn't, does that mean that, that life is uh, all of a sudden easy and, and everything goes perfect? And I was, no, no, of course not. All the saints will, will, will tell you that. Um, but bringing the Lord into one's life, being able to be that witness, being able to witness what it means to trust in God uh, as, as we live out our lives can do so much to impact not just ourselves, but really everybody around us. Uh, and it becomes very, very apparent whether we realize it or not. Well, Dean, uh, Father Dean, it's, it's always a joy to talk to you. Did you get, you get up to Camp Pandola this summer? Yes, I did. Got up to Camp Pandola and spent a, a week up there. Abso- absolutely enjoyed it. Uh, looking forward to, you know, God willing, next summer. And they, they had a, a wonderful program and, and great staff. And I know it's been hard the past mm-hmm. uh, couple of years because uh, of that, that thing that shall not be named. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, you know, we, we would all like to put behind us, but... Uh, it was was really a great experience as as always. And, yeah, I'm so glad to, to see yeah. they were able to get it back open because because yeah. so many you know so many you've seen small businesses uh, so many of them closed down temporarily for for as you say the thing that won't be named and then the next thing you yeah. know they never opened back up. Right. Uh, oh yeah, I've I've seen it with a lot of small businesses. I've I've seen it with even with ministries. Yep. Yeah. You know, and and trying to get everything restarted and re-engaged it's been it's been tough but you know the the lord the good lord has provided uh you know good good things like pendola and and Perseo and and all of our wonderful communities here here in sacramento uh it's it, the last several months especially it's been exciting to see uh people re-engage and get everything you know back on track and 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 moving forward and I think for for the better, you know, using this experience over the last few years uh, to inform them and encourage them uh, to move forward. Yeah, I know. In the last couple of months, I've been at the uh, the annual vacations dinner, and then uh, last Sunday at the uh, or Bishop Gregos maternity home dinner, and and you know we're counting the annual. How many annual is this? You know, and it's like. Oh, do we count last year or do we not count last year? Well, you know, yeah. Camp Pandola has yeah. been trying to celebrate their 60th anniversary for about three years now. You know, so. <laughs> right, right. But uh, and, it, it, know, it, and I think you're right. Being back, it just there, there's this renewed energy now. Yeah. So uh, and you know, it's it's interesting. And of course, it all tying in with the the Eucharistic revival and right. everything, uh, which which is, is wonderful. And and you know, bringing it back to Curcio, you know. The Bishop Gallegos, the Vocations Center, all of those um, that, that I've attended, whenever I go, I look around and I recognize faces yeah. from the Curcio movement. I'll bet. I'll bet. Uh, of people that, that have been involved. So mm-hmm. I do. So I do have some information for you, if that's yeah. all right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, the Women's Curcio uh, Weekend postponed, not canceled, uh, postponed to December 8th. Through the 11th, mm-hmm. uh, December 8th through the 11th, and if uh, somebody is interested, of course, if you if you know somebody who has done their weekend already, please feel free to, to reach out uh, to them. But also, there is the uh, website sacramentocursillo.org. Very good. Uh, Sacramento Curcio, so C-U-R-S-I-L-L-O. Very good. Uh, dot org and. Uh, Monica Small, she is the what's called the rector. She's kind of the, the leader, keeping us all in line uh, and and helping to to guide the effort. Um, her her information is on the website and uh, the the different requirements and and things like that for uh, attending the retreat are on the, the website as well. And it's again any any Catholic uh, woman um, over eighteen who is active in their faith. I mean that doesn't mean that you're uh, running ten different programs in the parish, but uh, you're you're attending mass. You're active in, in that sense. Uh, and if you have any questions, uh, please do check out the website, uh, sacramentocurcio.org. Very good, Father Dean Marshall. Always a joy to talk with you. I'm looking forward to the next basketball game. Yeah, same, same here, Bob. God bless you. And and uh, if I can uh, just say one quick thing to the listeners out in Radio Land, uh, please uh, keep all of us priests in prayer and. And know that we're praying for you as well. Very good. Our prayers are assured. God bless you, Father. 
God bless. Take care. Yeah, yeah, take care. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless. Can I pour my heart out to a listening ear? Well, I see this life, its valleys and mountains, and I think of all the roads that brought me here, all oh, that brought me here. Walking down, walking down the road. Well, I've questioned my reasons, this life I'm living. I question my 